After reciting the Tashahud, Ta'awuz in Surah Al-Fatiha, Hazrat Khalifatul Masih V, Ayyadahullah Ta'ala bin Asrihil Aziz stated, I have been relating the accounts from the life of Hazrat Ali radiallahu ta'ala anhu and the service rendered by Hazrat Ali to the Holy Prophet peace and blessings of Allah be upon him during his final illness has been mentioned in a narration in Bukhari as follows. Ubaidullah bin Abdullah has related that Hazrat Aisha radiallahu ta'ala anha used to say that when the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, became ill and his illness intensified, he sought permission from his wife so that he could be taken care of in my home. Hence, they granted him permission. And following this, the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, left the house with the support of two men whilst his feet were leaving a trail on the ground. He was being supported by Hazrat Abbas and another individual. In other words, he was already in the home of Hazrat Aisha radiallahu ta'ala anhu at the time and left her house with the support of two men in order to go to the mosque. Ubaidullah narrates that he mentioned what Hazrat Aisha radiallahu ta'ala anha had narrated to him to Hazrat ibn Abbas upon which he inquired whether he knew who the individuals were which Hazrat Aisha radiallahu ta'ala anha mentioned. Ubaidullah replied in the negative and Hazrat ibn Abbas stated that she mentioned Hazrat Abbas radiallahu ta'ala anhu and the other individual who she did not name was Hazrat Ali bin Abi Talib radiallahu ta'ala anhu. Hazrat Abdullah bin Abbas relates that one day Hazrat Ali bin Abi Talib radiallahu ta'ala anhu came out of the house in which the Holy Prophet peace and blessings of Allah be upon him was staying during his final illness prior to his demise. People inquired, O Abul Hassan, how is the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him's health, this morning? Hazrat Ali radiallahu ta'ala anhu replied that Alhamdulillah, all praise belongs to Allah, he is feeling better this morning. Upon this, Hazrat Abbas bin Abdul Mutlib took hold of Hazrat Ali's hand and stated, By God, you will be under the guardianship of someone else after three days. Because by Allah, I can see that the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, will soon pass away owing to this illness. And the reason for this is that from my experience I can tell when the people of the Banu Abdul Mutlib are near to their demise simply by looking at the condition of their faces. So come, let us go to the Holy Prophet peace and blessings of Allah be upon him and ask him who will be entrusted with this matter now, i.e. with Khilafat. And whether it is someone from amongst us or if it is granted to someone other than us, then in either case we will know and the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, will leave us some guidance in relation to it. Hazrat Ali radiallahu ta'ala anhu replied, that by God, if we ask the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, about this, and he does not grant us this honour, then people will also not grant it to us, following his demise. By God, I will certainly not ask the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, in relation to this. This narration is also taken from Bukhari. 
The Arabic words which are mentioned in this narration of Bukhari are as follows Anta wallahi ba'da thalatin abdul asa That is, by God in three days you will be under the guardianship of someone else In relation to this, Hazrat Sayyid Waliullah Shah Sahib has added the following note in his book that to say that he shall fall under the guardianship of someone else after the demise of the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him has in fact been used as an indirect expression to suggest that the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, would pass away after three days. Hazrat Amir relates that following the demise of the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, Hazrat Ali, Hazrat Fazl and Hazrat Usama bin Zaid, may Allah be pleased with them all, wash the body of the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, and these same individuals lowered the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him's blessed body, into the grave. In another narration, it is mentioned that Hazrat Abdul Rahman bin Auf anhu, was also among these individuals. Then there are various narrations in regards to Hazrat Ali performing the bath at the hands of Hazrat Abu Bakr. Anhu. The reason for this is that according to some narrations, Hazrat Ali radiallahu ta'ala anhu did not immediately and wholeheartedly pledge his allegiance, i.e. take the bath of Hazrat Abu Bakr radiallahu ta'ala anhu, whereas others state the contrary. Nevertheless, Hazrat Abu Sayyid Khudri relates that when the Muhajireen and the Ansar had pledged their allegiance, i.e. performed the bath at the hands of Hazrat Abu Bakr radiallahu ta'ala anhu, he stood at the pulpit and looked towards the people, but was unable to find Hazrat Ali radiallahu ta'ala anhu among them. And so Hazrat Abu Bakr then inquired about Hazrat Ali, and some men from among the Ansar went and brought Hazrat Ali with them. Addressing Hazrat Ali, Hazrat Abu Bakr radiallahu ta'ala anhu stated, that O paternal nephew of the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him and his son-in-law, do you wish to destroy the strength of the Muslims? Upon this, Hazrat Ali radiallahu ta'ala anhu replied, that O Khalifa of the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wasallam, do not reprimand me for this. And following this, he pledged initiation at the hands of Hazrat Abu Bakr radiallahu ta'ala anhu. In Tariqh al-Tabari it is mentioned that Habib bin Abi Sabit relates that Hazrat Ali radiallahu ta'ala anhu was in his home when an individual came to him and informed him that Hazrat Abu Bakr ta'ala anhu was present to take the Pledge of Allegiance, i.e. the bath. Hazrat Ali was wearing the loose upper garment at the time and he immediately left the house in a state where he was not wearing any lower garment or his cloak in fear of being delayed by this. Hence, he pledged allegiance to Hazrat Abu Bakr ta'ala anhu and sat down beside him. Following this, he sent for his clothes and got dressed but remained seated in the company of Hazrat Abu Bakr Allama ibn Kasir says that Hazrat Ali pledged allegiance to Hazrat Abu Bakr the very next day or the second day after the demise of the Holy Prophet peace and blessings of Allah be upon him. And this indeed is the reality because Hazrat Ali never stopped his support for Hazrat Abu Bakr and nor did he ever abandon offering his prayer behind Hazrat Abu Bakr In regards to Hazrat Ali the Promised Messiah states Hazrat Ali initially held back from taking the bath of Hazrat Abu Bakr However, upon reaching home, only Allah knows what thought crossed his mind that he immediately left without even putting on his turban and simply covered his head with a cap and came to perform the bath. It was only later that he called for his turban to be brought. It seems that he deemed this to be a grave sin and thus left in such a hurry that he did not even tie his turban. In other words, he did not even fully dress and came at once. In other narrations, it has been mentioned that Hazrat Ali did not perform the bath of Hazrat Abu Bakr until after the demise of Hazrat Fatima. For example, in the narration of Bukhari it states that Hazrat Ali did not perform the bath until after the demise of Hazrat Fatima. However, many ulama, i.e. the Islamic scholars, have expressed varying opinions on this narration. 
For instance, Imam Behki in Sunan al-Kubra has commented on the narration of Imam Shahabuddin Zuhri, in which it states that Hazrat Ali radiallahu ta'ala did not perform the birth of Hazrat Abu Bakr radiallahu ta'ala until after the demise of Hazrat Fatima. Imam Behki writes, the translation of which is, that Imam Zuhri's narration in which it states that Hazrat Ali did not perform the bath of Hazrat Abu Bakr until after the demise of Hazrat Fatima is munkadeh, i.e. the chain of narrators is incomplete. He further writes, that on the other hand, the narration of Hazrat Abu Sayyid Khudri is more authentic wherein it states that Hazrat Ali performed the bath at the hand of Hazrat Abu Bakr after the initial bath had been taken in Saqifah. And according to other scholars, they have sought to reconcile these two narrations by stating that the second bath, i.e. the one after the demise of Hazrat Fatima was a pledge of reaffirmation. Perhaps these scholars thought that in light of the fact that this narration has been recorded in an authentic book like Bukhari and therefore it must have some significance felt the need to give this second pledge a particular name. However, it is not necessary that all the narrations in Bukhari are completely accurate. For example, Dr. Ali Muhammad Salabi in his book Siratul Mu'mineen Ali bin Abi Talib Shakhsiyatuhu wa Atharahu writes that according to Alama ibn Kasid and many other scholars, Hazrat Ali radiallahu ta'ala anhu once again performed the bath and reaffirmed his pledge of allegiance after the demise of Hazrat Fatima. Thus, this bath was named as the Pledge of Reaffirmation. Hazrat Ali radiallahu ta'ala anhu had initially taken the bath, but after the demise of Hazrat Fatima, he once again reaffirmed his Pledge of Allegiance. Alama ibn Kasir writes that after the demise of Hazrat Fatima, Hazrat Ali decided to pledge his allegiance at the hand of Hazrat Abu Bakr radiallahu ta'ala anhu once again. The Promised Messiah alayhi salatu wassalam states in his book Sirul Khilafah, this book is originally written in Arabic, however its Urdu translation is as follows, that even if we assume that the most truthful person, in other words, Hazrat Abu Bakr radiallahu ta'ala anhu, regarding whom these people level allegations, and claim that Hazrat Ali radiallahu ta'ala anhu should have been the Khalifa first. Clarifying this matter, the Promised Messiah alayhi salatu wassalam states, that if we assume that the most truthful person, i.e. Hazrat Abu Bakr radiallahu ta'ala anhu, was one of those who prioritized the pleasure of this world and its temptations, and that he usurped the rights of another, then we are forced to admit that Ali, the Lion of Allah, was a hypocrite, God forbid, and nor did he cast aside his worldly desires and wholly devote himself to Allah the Almighty, and that he was beguiled by the world and desirous of its attractions and charms, because he did not depart from the apostates and disbelievers. These are the harsh words they say in regards to Hazrat Abu Bakr radiallahu ta'ala anhu, for example, that he was a disbeliever or a kafir. And so, instead, he adopted hypocrisy and chose taqiyah for approximately 30 years. The Promised Messiah further states that if in the eyes of Hazrat Ali radiallahu ta'ala anhu, Siddiq Akbar, i.e. Hazrat Abu Bakr radiallahu ta'ala anhu was a disbeliever and had usurped his right, then why did he agree to pledge allegiance to him? Why did he not migrate from the land of oppression, tribulation and apostasy? Was not Allah's earth vast enough for him to emigrate, as has been the practice of the righteous? Look at the example of Abraham, who fulfilled the commandments, and how powerful he was in bearing witness to the truth. When he saw that his father had erred and had gone astray, and his people worshipped idols instead of the Supreme Lord, he turned away from them. He was not afraid, nor did he care about the consequences. In fact, he was thrown into fire, and yet he did not choose to conceal his faith out of fear of the evildoers. This is the way of the righteous. They do not fear swords nor blades, and they consider taqiyah to be a grave sin and an immoral and unjust act. 
And even if they were to commit an iota of such a despicable act, they turn to Allah seeking His forgiveness. We are amazed at how Ali, may Allah the Almighty be pleased with him, pledged allegiance to Siddiq and Farooq, i.e. Hazrat Abu Bakr and Hazrat Umar despite knowing that they had renounced Islam and usurped the rights of others. Moreover, if Hazrat Ali was aware of their alleged corruption, disbelief and apostasy, then why is it that he continued to live among them a whole lifetime and followed them sincerely and devotedly? And he did not tire or become weary, nor did he show any resentment. And neither did he let any other reason become a hindrance in this, or his high level of righteousness. Moreover, there was nothing stopping him, and nor was he held as a prisoner in that he couldn't go to the other Arab tribes. Thus, in such an instance, it was his duty to migrate to some other part of Arabia, to its east or to the west. In other words, if the circumstances had become so dire, then there was nothing stopping Hazrat Ali from migrating. The Promised Messiah states that not only should he have migrated, but then also incited others to fight against them, for they had become apostates and disbelievers. The Promised Messiah continues that he should have left in order to urge people to fight and incite the Bedouins to battle. He should have aroused them with his eloquent words and then fought the rebellious apostates. The Promised Messiah further states, About 100,000 Bedouins joined Musalma Kazab, i.e. Musalma the liar. However, Ali was more deserving of this support than anyone else. Therefore, on what basis did he follow the disbelievers? i.e. the first three Khalifas against whom these people leveled the allegation that they were disbelievers. The Promised Messiah continues, And why did he display his loyalty to them? If he was appointed as the leader, then why did he sit idly like the indolent and not rise like those who strive in the cause of Allah? What had prevented him from standing against them if he had seen the signs of his honour and high rank by Allah? Why did he not go forward to war in support of the truth and to call others towards this mission? Was Hazrat Ali not the most eloquent among the people and the most articulate in speech and the one who could breathe life through his words? Thus, Hazrat Ali could have gathered people around him within an hour or even less due to the strength of his speech and oratory which would have affected the listeners and attracted them. If people could gather around an imposter and liar, i.e. Musalma Kazab, how is it that the Lion of Allah could not do the same while he was supported by Allah and was the beloved of the Lord of the worlds? And above all else, the strangest thing is that Hazrat Ali did not only pledge allegiance to Hazrat Abu Bakr and Hazrat Umar but he also observed every Salat behind them and never missed a single prayer or turned away like those who harbour doubts. Moreover, Hazrat Ali participated with them in mutual consultation and believed in their claim. He helped them in every matter with all his effort and capacity and was not of those who remained behind. Thus, carefully ponder, is this how an oppressed one behaves? And look how he followed the so-called liars despite his knowledge of their lies and slander, as if truth and falsehood were alike for him. The Promised Messiah then further states regarding Hazrat Ali that did Hazrat Ali not know that those who trust in the powerful Lord never choose the way of hypocrisy even if they are cast into the fire. Indeed, they do not leave the truth even if by upholding it they are cast into ruin and destruction. <coughs> Thus, the Promised Messiah has clearly explained that Hazrat Ali never opposed any of the Khulafa before him. In fact, Hazrat Ali pledged his allegiance to them. And those who claim that Hazrat Ali did not pledge his allegiance to Hazrat Abu Bakr, this is a great disservice to his honour as opposed to honouring his status.
Then what services did Hazrat Ali radiallahu render during the era of the three Khalifas before him? After the demise of the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, many of the Arab tribes became apostates and the hypocrites of Medina also began to grow bold in their opposition. Many people from among the Banu Hunayfa and Yamama joined with Musalma Kazab, whilst many others from among the Banu Asad, Banu Tay and various other tribes joined with Tuleha Asadi. Just like Musalma Kazab, Tuleha Asadi also declared to be a prophet. Consequently, disorder became widespread and the situation became increasingly grave. In such circumstances, Hazrat Abu Bakr sent an army under the command of Hazrat Usama and thus very few people were left behind with him. And so many of the Bedouins thought of capturing Medina and began to plot an attack. Upon this, Hazrat Abu Bakr appointed guards at the various entrances into Medina who along with their men would guard Medina at night. Amongst those who were assigned to oversee these guards was Hazrat Ali bin Abi Talib radiallahu ta'ala anhu, Zubair bin al-Awam, Talha bin Abdullah, Saad bin Abi Waqas, Abdul Rahman bin Auf, and Abdullah bin Mas'ud. May Allah be pleased with them all. Thus, even during this time, Hazrat Ali radiallahu ta'ala anhu was appointed to oversee this section of the army which was assigned with the duty to guard Medina. When news of the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him's demise spread, many of the Arab tribes became apostates and refused to pay the zakat. Hazrat Abu Bakr decided to fight against them. And Urwa relates that Hazrat Abu Bakr took the Muhajireen and the Ansar along with him and left Medina. When he reached a lake which was situated opposite the mountainous area of Najd, the Bedouins had fled from there along with their families. In actuality, they did not completely apostate, but still claimed to be Muslims and yet refused to pay the zakat. Thus, it was for this reason that Hazrat Abu Bakr decided to fight against them, and not because they had become apostates. And so, when these Bedouins fled from there, it was suggested to Hazrat Abu Bakr that he should return to the women and children left behind in Medina and appoint someone else as the commander of the army in his place. And upon the persistent suggestions from others, Hazrat Abu Bakr appointed Hazrat Khalid bin Walid as the commander of the army and stated to him that if they wished to accept Islam and pay the zakat, in other words, they pledged their allegiance, then if anyone from among them wishes to return, then they can do so. After this, Hazrat Abu Bakr returned to Medina. Hazrat Muslim states, that it is proven from historical sources that during his era of Khilafat, Hazrat Umar appointed Hazrat Ali as the Amir of Medina in his absence on certain occasions when he would have to travel somewhere. For example, in Tariqh al-Tabari it is stated that during the incident of Jisr, whereby the Muslim army suffered a huge setback from the Persian forces, Hazrat Umar decided upon consulting with various people that he would go with the Muslim army to the frontier region of Iran. On this occasion, Hazrat Umar appointed Hazrat Ali as the governor of Medina. Hazrat Muslim further states, One of the biggest and harrowing defeats faced by the Muslims was during the Battle of Jisr. A very strong army of Muslims had been sent to fight against the Persian forces. The Persian forces had set up their trenches on the opposite side of the river and were sat in a wait. When the Muslim army approached, they attacked the Persian forces with great intensity and went right through them. However, this was the ploy of the commander of the Persian army. He then sent another army from the side who took control of the bridge and then launched an attack against the Muslim army. The Muslim army planned to move back but noticed that the bridge had been seized by the enemy and so they anxiously moved to another side but came under a fierce attack from the enemy and many of the Muslims were left with no choice but to jump into the river and they died. This was such a dangerous loss suffered by the Muslim army that its news left Medina in shock. Hazrat Umar radiallahu gathered the people of Medina and stated that now there is nothing that remains between Iran and Medina. 
Medina has become completely exposed and it is possible that the enemy may reach here in just a matter of days. Therefore I wish to go myself as the commander of the army. Everyone agreed to this suggestion. However, Hazrat Ali stated that if God forbid you were to be martyred, then the unity of the Muslims will end and they will be dispersed. Therefore, you should not go and send someone else instead. Upon this, Hazrat Umar wrote to Hazrat Saad, who at the time was engaged in battle against the Byzantines, and stated that he should send however many people as he could, because Medina was left completely exposed. If the enemy was not stopped immediately, they would eventually take control of Medina. Then, when the rebellion and dissension began during the Khilafat of Hazrat Usman Hazrat Ali gave him sincere advice in order for it to be quelled. On one occasion, Hazrat Usman asked Hazrat Ali that what was the real reason for the revolt and rebellion and also how can it be quelled? With the utmost sincerity, Hazrat Ali openly stated that all the unrest and turmoil was due to the dishonesty and injustices committed by his governors. Hazrat Usman stated that when choosing my governors, I looked to the same qualities that Hazrat Umar was mindful of. Yet I do not know why there is a general aversion to them. Hazrat Ali replied that that is correct. However, Hazrat Umar kept the final verdict under his command and he was so firm in this that even the most rebellious camel in all of Arabia would cry out of anguish. In other words, he would oversee the matters very stringently. In contrast, you are overly lenient and your governors take advantage of your leniency and act however they please. They ensure that you remain unaware of their actions and the people think that the governors are simply fulfilling the commands issued by the Khalifa. And for this reason, you become the focal point of the reaction to these injustices committed by the governors. When the Egyptians had besieged Hazrat Usman Radiallahu's house, they acted so severely that they cut off all supplies of food and drink to his home. When Hazrat Ali became aware of this, he went to those who had laid the siege and said, that the manner in which you have sieged the house is not only un-Islamic, but it is also inhumane. When the disbelievers capture Muslims, even they do not deprive them of food and drink. What harm has this man caused you? With regards to Hazrat Usman Hazrat Ali stated, and what harm has this man caused you, that you are treating him in such a cruel manner? The ones who laid the siege took no notice of Hazrat Ali's appeal and outright refused to ease the severity of the siege. Hazrat Ali became furious and throwing down his turban, he left. The people had besieged Hazrat Usman's house and cut off his water supply. Hazrat Usman peered from above and asked the people if Ali was among them. They replied that he was not. And so Hazrat Usman then asked if Saad was present, to which they replied in the negative. Hazrat Usman paused briefly and then said, Is there anyone among you who can deliver my message to Ali that if he can bring us some water? When Hazrat Ali became aware of this, he sent three water bags to Hazrat Usman. However, the rebels intercepted them and would not allow them to reach the house of Hazrat Usman. In the attempt to deliver those water bags to Hazrat Usman, Many slaves of the Banu Hashim and Banu Umayyah were injured. Eventually, they managed to provide Hazrat Usman with this water. When Hazrat Ali learned that there was a plan to murder Hazrat Usman, he ordered his sons Imam Hassan and Imam Hussein to go with their swords and stand guard at Hazrat Usman's door. He warned them that no rebel should get anywhere near them. Upon seeing this, the rebels fired a burst of arrows towards Hazrat Usman's door which severely injured Hazrat Hassan and Muhammad bin Talha. During this time, Muhammad bin Abi Bakr and two accomplices quietly jumped into Hazrat Usman's house from the side of an Ansari companion's home and then martyred Hazrat Usman radiallahu When Hazrat Ali heard this news, he came to see for himself and learned that he had indeed been martyred. He then asked his sons, How could Hazrat Usman be martyred whilst you two were on guard? Upon this, Hazrat Ali slapped Hazrat Hassan and struck the chest of Hazrat Hussain and rebuked Muhammad bin Talha and Abdullah bin Zubair and returned home filled with anger. Shadad bin Aus narrates that on the day of Adar, when the siege of Hazrat Usman became severe, 
The day of Dar is the day when the rebels surrounded Hazrat Usman radiallahu ta'ala anhu's house and martyred him mercilessly. Hazrat Usman radiallahu ta'ala anhu peered over and said, O servants of Allah, the narrator then states that I saw that Hazrat Ali radiallahu ta'ala anhu was leaving his house and he was wearing the turban of the Holy Prophet peace and blessings of Allah be upon him and was wearing his sword. Ahead of him was a group of Muhajireen and Ansar among whom was Hazrat Hassan and Hazrat Abdullah bin Umar. They attacked the rebels and managed to move them away from there. They then entered Hazrat Usman radiallahu ta'ala anhu's house, after which Hazrat Ali radiallahu ta'ala anhu said, that, O leader of the faithful, may peace be upon you. The faith was strengthened and elevated to lofty heights when the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, along with his companions fought against those who stood in opposition to him. By God I see that these people will certainly kill you. Thus grant us permission to fight against them. Upon this, Hazrat Usman anhu stated that whosoever believes in Allah and considers that I have a right over them, I implore them in the name of Allah not to shed anyone's blood for me, even the amount that is spilt in the practice of bloodletting, nor should they spill their own blood for my sake. Hazrat Ali anhu then made the same request again, but Hazrat Usman anhu gave the same reply as before. The narrator then states that I then saw Hazrat Ali anhu departing from Hazrat Usman's house and he was saying, O oh Allah, you are a witness that we exhausted all our efforts in this cause. He then went to Masjid al-Nabwi and it was time for prayer. The people said to Hazrat Ali, O oh Abul Hassan, proceed forward and lead us in prayer. Hazrat Ali stated, that I cannot lead you in prayers whilst the Imam is under siege. I will offer prayers on my own. Thus he offered prayers on his own and then left. Hazrat Ali radiallahu ta'ala anhu son came to him and said, O oh my father, by God the enemy has attacked Hazrat Usman's house. Hazrat Ali radiallahu ta'ala anhu stated that inna lillahi wa inna ilayhi rajiun, verily to Allah we belong and to him shall we return. By God they will kill him. The people then asked that where will Hazrat Usman be, i.e. after his martyrdom. Hazrat Ali radiallahu ta'ala anhu stated that I swear by God he will be in paradise. They then asked that, O oh Abul Hassan, where will those people be, i.e. the ones who martyred him? Hazrat Ali radiallahu ta'ala anhu replied, I swear by God they will be in the hellfire. And he repeated this three times. Whilst mentioning the conditions when the rebels had besieged Medina, Hazrat Muslim radiallahu ta'ala anhu states, the Egyptians went to Hazrat Ali and at the time he was outside of Medina and was commanding one part of an army against the rebels and was preparing to crush the rebellion. When they reached Hazrat Ali radiallahu ta'ala anhu, they said that due to Hazrat Usman radiallahu ta'ala anhu's poor administration he is no longer fit for the position of Khalifa and we are here to remove him and hope that you will accept this office after him. Upon hearing these words of the hypocrites, Hazrat Ali radiallahu ta'ala anhu responded with the honour he had for the faith that was befitting for a man of his rank and eminence and shunned them with full vigour. Hazrat Ali radiallahu ta'ala anhu stated that all righteous people know that the Holy Prophet peace and blessings of Allah be upon him spoke about the people camping at Zul Marwa and Zul Khushub i.e. the places where the rebels were camping and cursed them. He then stated, Then may God ruin you. Go back to where you came from. Upon hearing these words, they said, That very well, we shall return. And so they left. I have previously spoken about Hazrat Usman radiallahu ta'ala anhu's martyrdom and Hazrat Ali radiallahu ta'ala anhu's election as Khalifa in detail. But I will briefly mention it here also. When Hazrat Usman radiallahu ta'ala anhu was martyred, everyone rushed towards Hazrat Ali radiallahu ta'ala anhu, among whom were the companions as well as others, and they unanimously proclaimed that Hazrat Ali radiallahu ta'ala anhu was leader of the faithful. They came to Hazrat Ali radiallahu ta'ala anhu's house and wished to perform the bath. They asked Hazrat Ali radiallahu ta'ala anhu to extend his hand for the bath, as he was most worthy. Hazrat Ali radiallahu ta'ala anhu however responded that this is not your job to decide. 
Rather, this is a matter for the companions of Badr. Thus, the Khalifa will be the one whoever the companions of Badr choose. All of the people gathered around Hazrat Ali radiallahu ta'ala anhu stated that we do not see anyone more worthy than you for this office. Therefore, extend your hand so we can pledge allegiance. Hazrat Ali radiallahu ta'ala anhu inquired of the whereabouts of Talha and Zubair. The first person to verbally pledge allegiance was Hazrat Talha and the first person to pledge allegiance at the hands of Hazrat Ali was Hazrat Saad. Subsequently, Hazrat Ali headed towards the mosque and stood up on the pulpit. Hazrat Talha was the first person to climb the pulpit and pledge allegiance to Hazrat Ali, followed by Hazrat Zubair and other companions. Hazrat Muslim Aud radiallahu ta'ala anhu has explained the events after the martyrdom of Hazrat Usman radiallahu ta'ala anhu in the following manner. He writes, when Hazrat Usman radiallahu ta'ala anhu was martyred, the rebels looted the treasury and announced that whosoever challenged them would be put to death. People were not permitted to congregate anywhere. People were not allowed to gather in groups and they had imposed a restriction similar to section 144 that is imposed these days. And Medina was under complete siege and no one was allowed to leave, similar to the curfews that are imposed nowadays. And this was to the extent that Hazrat Ali radiallahu ta'ala anhu, whom the rebels claimed to love, was prevented from leaving. All the while the rebels ransacked Medina. On the other hand, the stone-heartedness of the rebels was such that they did not stop having murdered a pious individual such as Hazrat Usman radiallahu ta'ala anhu, whom the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, greatly praised. Rather, they went even further and for three or four days, they prevented the body of Hazrat Usman radiallahu ta'ala anhu from being buried. Eventually, some companions went out at night and buried him secretly. Alongside Hazrat Usman radiallahu ta'ala anhu, some servants were also martyred and they too were prevented from being buried and their corpses were fed to the dogs. Having perpetrated this act against Hazrat Usman radiallahu ta'ala anhu and his servants, the rebels granted respite to the people of Medina as they did not have any dispute with them. At this time, the companions began to leave Medina. For five days, Medina remained without a ruler. The rebels wished to appoint a Khalifa of their choosing so that he would carry out their demands. However, no one from among the companions of the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, could ever imagine becoming the appointed Khalifa of those who had murdered Hazrat Usman. The rebels went to Hazrat Ali, Talha and Zubair in turn and asked them to become the Khalifa, but they all refused. After hearing their refusal, the rebels knew that whilst these three individuals were alive, the Muslims would never accept a Khalifa who was not from among them. Therefore, they decided to resort to coercion in this matter as well. They thought that if a Khalifa was not appointed soon, they would face a great storm of opposition throughout the Islamic world. And so they announced that it would be wise to choose a Khalifa within two days, otherwise they would kill Ali, Talha and Zubair and all other prominent persons. At this, the people of Medina became fearful that the people who killed Hazrat Usman anhu would leave no stone unturned in their mistreatment of their families and children. And so they went to Hazrat Ali anhu and pleaded with him to become the Khalifa. However, he refused and said that if I become the Khalifa, everyone will assume that I had Usman killed and I cannot bear such a burden. Hazrat Talha and Hazrat Zubair also gave the same response. Whoever from among the companions was asked to become the Khalifa refused. Ultimately, everyone went to Hazrat Ali radiallahu ta'ala anhu again and said that he ought to take up this burden. Eventually, he agreed on the condition that everyone should gather in the mosque and accept him. And so, the people gathered in the mosque and pledged allegiance to Hazrat Ali radiallahu ta'ala anhu. Some, however, refused to accept any Khalifa until those who killed Hazrat Usman radiallahu ta'ala anhu were punished while others, albeit very few in number, stated that a Khalifa should not be chosen until the opinion of the people outside of Medina was ascertained. Hazrat Ali radiallahu ta'ala anhu accepted the proposal to become the Khalifa in such circumstances, but the events unfolded just as he had feared, and people throughout the Islamic world began to allege that Hazrat Usman radiallahu ta'ala anhu had been murdered on the orders of Hazrat Ali radiallahu ta'ala anhu. Hazrat Muslim Aud radiallahu ta'ala anhu writes, 
that if we put all of Hazrat Ali radiallahu ta'ala anhu's attributes and qualities to one side, in my opinion, for him to accept the office of Khilafat in such precarious times was an extremely brave and courageous step and is worthy of immense praise and admiration. For the sake of Islam, he did not care at all about himself nor his honour and instead took upon himself a burden of such magnitude. Then with regards to the incidents following the martyrdom of Hazrat Usman anhu, Hazrat Muslim anhu states at another instance, for about a day or two after Hazrat Usman's martyrdom, looting and disorder was rampant. However, when the rebels' emotions subsided, they began worrying about their fates and were fearful for what would happen next. Hence, some thought that since Hazrat Muawiyah was a great man, he would surely seek retribution for the martyrdom of Hazrat Usman. Hence, they set out towards Syria and upon reaching there, they began lamenting over the martyrdom of Hazrat Usman and the fact that no one was seeking retribution for it. Other rebels ran towards Mecca and met with Hazrat Zubair and Hazrat Aisha and said that how grave it is that the Khalifa of Islam was martyred, yet the Muslims remained silent. Then there were others who ran towards Hazrat Ali and stated that this is a time of great adversity and we fear that the Islamic rule may collapse. Therefore, accept our pledge of allegiance so that people's fear may dissipate and peace and security may be established. The companions who were present in Medina also unanimously advised that it was best for Hazrat Ali to take on the responsibility of Khilafat for it would prove to be a source of great blessings and attaining the pleasure of God. Seeing as he was being compelled from all sides, though he refused many times, Hazrat Ali radiallahu ta'ala finally conceded and accepted this responsibility, after which he allowed others to pledge allegiance to him. There is no doubt, in fact, that this decision made by Hazrat Ali radiallahu ta'ala was full of wisdom, and had he not taken the bath or a pledge of allegiance from the Muslims, then even more harm would have come to Islam than that which befell it as a result of the war between him and Hazrat Muawiyah. This was the conclusion reached by Hazrat Muslimah He then further states, It should be remembered that it is wrong to say that after pledging allegiance to Hazrat Ali, Hazrat Talha and Hazrat Zubair broke their oaths. Some say that they pledged allegiance to Hazrat Ali with ease. However, it was not a simple matter. Hazrat Muslimah writes in detail and addresses this notion that they went to Hazrat Aisha after breaking their oaths and fought against Hazrat Ali. He writes, such a notion is wrong and is proof of being unacquainted with history. This was not the case. History unanimously bears testament to the fact that Hazrat Talha and Hazrat Zubair did not willingly pledge allegiance to Hazrat Ali radiallahu ta'ala anhu. Rather, they were compelled to pledge their allegiance. Thus, it is related by two narrators in Tabari named Muhammad and Talha that when Hazrat Usman radiallahu ta'ala anhu was martyred, the people consulted amongst themselves and decided that the next Khalifa should be appointed swiftly so that peace may be established and disorder may be done away with. Eventually, people went to Hazrat Ali and requested him to accept their pledge of allegiance. Hazrat Ali radiallahu ta'ala anhu said to them that if you wish to pledge allegiance to me, then you must remain obedient to me at all times. If you are willing to accept this, then I am prepared to accept your pledge allegiance to me. If not, then you should appoint someone else as the Khalifa and I will remain obedient to whoever it is. In fact, I will be more obedient to the Khalifa than any of you. They replied by saying that they are willing to remain obedient to him. Hazrat Ali then said that think about it once more and consult amongst yourselves. Thus they consulted one another and decided that if Hazrat Talha and Hazrat Zubair were to pledge allegiance to Hazrat Ali, so too would everyone else. And if they, i.e. Hazrat Talha and Hazrat Zubair, did not pledge allegiance to Hazrat Ali, then peace could not be fully established. Thus, Hakim bin Jabala along with a few other men were sent to Hazrat Zubair, while Malik Ashtar along with a few men were sent to Hazrat Talha. Both wielded their swords and called on to them to pledge allegiance, meaning they drew their swords and stood before them saying that they must pledge allegiance to Hazrat Ali, otherwise they would attack them. And so they, i.e. Hazrat Talha and Hazrat Zubair, were compelled to accept, after which the two parties returned. The next day, Hazrat Ali stood at the pulpit and said, O people, yesterday you sent me a message to which I replied that you should ponder over it. And so, have you pondered over it? Are you still willing to accept what I had said yesterday? If so, then remember that you must always remain obedient to me. 
Upon this, they went back to Hazrat Talha and Hazrat Zubair and forcefully brought them. It is clearly mentioned in the narration that when they went to Hazrat Talha anhu and told him that he must pledge allegiance, he replied that I am being forced to pledge allegiance and I am not doing so willingly. Similarly, when a party went to Hazrat Zubair anhu and they told him to pledge allegiance, he replied in the same manner, stating that you are forcing me to pledge allegiance and I am not pledging allegiance wholeheartedly. Similarly, Abdul Rahman bin Jundub narrates on account of his father that after the martyrdom of Hazrat Usman radiallahu ta'ala anhu, Ashtar went to Talha and told him to pledge allegiance. He replied, give me some time as I wish to see what others decide. However, Ashtar did not accept this and harshly dragged him along the ground just as one drags a goat and brought him back with him. Hazrat Muslim anhu further states When Hazrat Talha, who was a companion of the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, stood against Hazrat Ali due to a mutual conflict, and when he realized that he himself was at fault, he left the battlefield. Now, this is the account of when Hazrat Talha stood against Hazrat Ali anhu and did not pledge allegiance to him. And Hazrat Muslim who explains that indeed he did go to battle against Hazrat Ali and initially he had been forced to pledge allegiance and later he went to battle against him meaning he was forced to pledge the allegiance and later when the opportunity arose there was a dispute which ensued and a battle. However, when he later realized that Hazrat Ali anhu was in the right he immediately left the battlefield. Regarding this, Hazrat Muslim anhu writes that Hazrat Talha anhu was returning home when a wretched person who considered himself to be from the army of Hazrat Ali killed him. And then seeking a reward, he went to Hazrat Ali anhu and stated that I give you good news for I have killed your enemy Talha. Hazrat Ali anhu replied, On behalf of the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, I give you the glad tiding of hell. I heard the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, say, that Talha would be killed by a person who is hellbound. Then, with reference to the same incident, Hazrat Muslim who states at another instance, Hakim has narrated that Sur bin Majza told him that on the day of the Battle of Jamal, I passed by Hazrat Talha while he was nearing his final breath. The injuries inflicted on him left him on the brink of death. And at that point, Hazrat Talha asked, Which tribe are you from? I informed him that I was from Hazrat Ali anhu's men. Upon this, Hazrat Talha anhu stated, That extend your hand so that I may pledge allegiance to Hazrat Ali. Thus, he pledged allegiance at my hand, after which he passed away. I then went to Hazrat Ali and narrated the entire incident to him, upon which he stated that Allah is the greatest. God has proven the words of the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, to be true. Allah the Almighty did not will for Talha to enter paradise without having pledged allegiance to me. He was one of the Ashram of Bashra, i.e. the ten companions given the glad tidings of paradise. Thus, though he had initially pledged allegiance out of compulsion, but as I mentioned earlier, that he pledged allegiance wholeheartedly before his demise, he was pious and virtuous, and had also been promised by Allah the Almighty that he would enter paradise. Therefore, Allah the Almighty did not will for his end to come at a time when he was outside the fold of allegiance to Khilafat. And so he was granted an opportunity and he pledged allegiance to the Khilafat of Hazrat Ali These accounts are ongoing and inshallah I will continue to mention them in the future. Today, I would again like to make an appeal for prayers for the Ahmadis of Algeria as well as Pakistan. May Allah the Almighty keep them safe. The conditions for Ahmadis in Algeria continue to worsen. There is a state lawyer who continues to file false charges against Ahmadis. And similarly in Pakistan, Ahmadis are being made to face worsening conditions. May Allah the Almighty make an example out of those who are creating these hardships or raising various forms of opposition. And may Allah the Almighty swiftly improve the conditions for Ahmadis who are facing hardships. 
and also create ease for them. However, at the same time, I will also like to add that Ahmadis, especially in Pakistan, are not focusing on prayers as they ought to. Therefore, they must pray now more than ever before that may Allah the Almighty alleviate them of these hardships swiftly and may He create ease for them. And may Allah the Almighty enable them to spread the true message of Islam not only in Pakistan but to every corner of the world with complete freedom. After the Friday prayers, I will lead a few funeral prayers in absentia. The first is of Dr. Tahir Ahmed Sahib of Rabwa, who was the son of Chaudhry Abdul Razak Shaheed, the former Amir of District Nawabsha. The deceased passed away on December 4th at the age of 60 due to a heart attack. Inna lillahi wa inna ilayhi rajiun. Surely to Allah we belong and to Him shall we return. The deceased was a government doctor. He served his first heart attack in 1995, yet despite his ill health, he transferred to Mithi, Pakistan, so that he may also serve at the Al-Mahdi Hospital, which operates under Vakfe Jadid. Dr. Zaib was an eye specialist, and he would tend to eye patients in the Al-Mahdi Hospital every evening, as well as on Sundays. He would spend his day off at the Al-Mahdi Hospital. The deceased regularly took part in medical camps, and at times would perform operations throughout the day. He was well liked by Ahmadis and non-Ahmadis alike in Tharparka and was much loved by everyone. The deceased underwent a heart bypass operation and fell critically ill a few times in his final years. But despite this, however, he continued his work in Tharparka. He served the community in Mitti for about 15 years. He was extremely caring of the poor, hospitable and held pr- profound respect for the institution of Khilafat and for the Nizam of the Jamaat. By the grace of Allah the Almighty, he became a Musi during his youth and he was at the forefront of taking part in all the financial schemes of the Jamaat. May Allah the Almighty grant the deceased his mercy and forgiveness and elevate his station and may Allah the Almighty enable his children to follow and continue his virtuous deeds. The second funeral is of Habibullah Mazar Sahib, son of Chaudhry Allah Ditta Sahib. Habibullah Mazar Sahib was also imprisoned in the way of Allah the Almighty. He passed away at the age of 75 on 24th October. Inna lillahi wa inna ilayhi rajiun. Surely to Allah we belong and to him shall we return. His father accepted Ahmadiyyat and took the oath of allegiance at the hand of Hazrat Khalifatul Masih anhu. Chaudhry Habibullah Mazazai worked in different roles in the governmental departments and he retired as the director of one of the governmental departments. His services to the community spanned over a period of more than 50 years in which he served as the Qaid Majlis, Zaim Ansarullah, Sadar Jamaat and many other roles as well. The first ever death penalty case against an Ahmadi under the 295 blasphemy law was filed against Chaudhry Habibullah Mazar Sahib on 29th October 1991 at the Shadra police station. In this regard, historically he is the first Ahmadi to have the honour of enduring the difficulties of being imprisoned in the way of Allah the Almighty under this law. And even though the session court delivered the verdict in his favour, but upon the appeal of the opponents in the High Court, the High Court Justice Abdul Majid rejected his bail in the case under the blasphemy law and made every effort to punish him. Also, the opponents made as far-ranging efforts as were possible at the time against him, and they distributed leaflets in English and Urdu and used very foul language against him. But in any case, Chaudhry Habibullah Mazar Sahib endured the hardships of prison with great courage, bravery and whilst remaining content with the will of Allah the Almighty. And then within a few months, Allah the Almighty brought about the means for his release. 
the deceased was very regular in offering the tahajjud and daily prayers. He continued to admonish his children to remain regular in offering their prayers right until his last breath. He was extremely hospitable, sympathetic and humble and truly devoted to the institution of Khilafat. He regularly listened to the sermons and addresses and in fact he would gather the whole family to leave whatever they were doing and sit and listen to the sermon when it was on and he would personally ensure that everyone would listen to it. By the grace of Allah the Almighty he was a Musi and had written his will at the rate of one ninth. He is survived by his wife Ruqayya Begum Sahiba, his five sons and one daughter. One of his sons, Hasib Ahmad Sahib, is a missionary and currently serves in the English desk of the Fazli Umar Foundation. May Allah the Almighty grant forgiveness and mercy to the deceased and may he enable his children to continue his good deeds. The next funeral is of Khalifa Bashiruddin Ahmad Sahib, who passed away at the age of 86 on 30th November. Inna lillahi wa inna ilayhi rajiun. Surely to Allah we belong and to him shall we return. The deceased was born in the city of Firozpur, India. He was the son of Dr. Khalifa Taqiyuddin Sahib and the grandson of Hazrat Dr. Khalifa Rashiduddin Sahib. Dr. Khalifa Rashiduddin Sahib was the father of Hazrat Umm Nasir, the first wife of Hazrat Khalifatul Masih II anhu. The Promised Messiah spoke very highly of the financial sacrifices of Hazrat Dr. Khalifa Rashiduddin Sahib and Khalifa Bashiruddin Ahmad Sahib was of his progeny. The deceased took part in Jamaat work and would invite non-Ahmadis to his home to preach to them. He lived in different places before migrating to Sweden in 1998. And in 1999 he had a heart attack there. After returning to good health, he would again go and busy himself in mosque activities. He also served as the Tablik Secretary and every year he would come with his wife and children to attend the Jalsa UK. He is survived by his wife, three daughters and two sons. His wife is an English woman who converted from Christianity and she dresses very modestly and observes the parda, i.e. the Islamic veil, very well. She lives very simply and modestly. She has a great zeal to learn about her faith and she makes full effort to act upon it. May Allah the Almighty increase her in her faith and belief and enable Khalifa Bashiruddin Ahmad Sahib's children to continue his good deeds. May Allah the Almighty grant forgiveness and mercy to him. The next funeral is of respected Amina Ahmad Sahib, wife of Khalifa Rafiuddin Ahmad Sahib. She passed away on 19th October. Inna lillahi wa inna ilayhi rajiun. Surely to Allah we belong and to him shall we return. The deceased was from Guyana and she was born in 1940 to a Muslim family who were well known and owned a business. She accepted Ahmadiyya during her studies in London and in that same period she married R.D. Ahmad Saib who was the son of Dr. Khalifa Taqiyuddin and was from the progeny of Hazrat Khalifa Rashiduddin Ahmad Saib. The deceased was a compassionate, caring and hospitable woman. She was regular in offering her prayers and she would always remain conscious of her prayers. Despite her health having deteriorated, she would continue to offer the tahajjud prayers. She would recite the Holy Quran on a regular basis and in spite of her ill health and suffering from cancer, she would travel to the UK almost every year to attend the Jalsa. She had firm conviction in prayers and supplications and she had a bond of loyalty and devotion with Khilafat. And whenever she would meet me, she would do so with great humility and always request for prayers. May Allah the Almighty grant her her forgiveness and mercy and enable her children to remain firmly attached to the Jamaat. Alhamdulillah Alhamdulillah Nahmudu wa nasta'inu wa nastaghfiruh wa n'amenu bihi wa natawakkalu alayh wa na'udhu billahi min shururi 